0: Good morning KGF, I'm Marissa and I have here with me Becca Claussen who's gonna share a little bit about her role uh, as a nurse. And so if you could share a little bit more about
1: uh, your specific department, how long you've been there. Yeah, for sure. I have been nursing for about just over 18 years. The first couple were in public health in the community and then the last 15 have been in labor and delivery. And the entire 18 years have always been with Kind of like new families, people who have just had babies and are adjusting to life with a new baby. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So exciting. Yeah. Again, you've got so many stories yeah. um, and the experiences you have. Yeah. How about you share a little bit about your role as a nurse and how that has
1: you know, shaped your view of human life and human worth? Yeah, for sure. Um, Like, the first easy, obvious answer probably everyone thinks of is, like, the actual literal birth of a baby. The miracle of life before my eyes, over and over. And while it is uh, maybe more commonplace for me to experience that compared to the average human citizen, it does not usually... The marvel of it does not lessen. I'm working alongside women who are working so hard in their labor and their delivery, and they deliver this amazing baby that they've grown and cared for and nestled for months and months, and then all of a sudden that baby's in their arms, and that is truly amazing and beautiful to see and watch. Mm -hmm. Um, Another area of my job that sort of seems to highlight life is that not just, not only working with babies, but we're actually working with the family as a unit. So that's the mom, her mm-hmm. partner, her other support people. And they all come with their own backgrounds, their own stories, their own histories, things that they've had to work through. Some people really hard to get to the moment where I'm with them. Some people by very confused surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew how yeah. that worked, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but they all come and I just is really important for me that whether my time with them is many interactions throughout their pregnancy or a quick very fast speedy delivery I want them to like feel seen feel valued feel respected and when they leave my care it's really important for me whether they interpret it this way or not I want Mm -hmm. them to have seen the love of God and to know that they are very valued people.
0: Mm, that's
1: beautiful. And then maybe like an, another area of work is almost the opposite, like a less thought of area is we have a lot of life and a lot of joy to celebrate in labour and delivery, but there is loss too. And um, when women come in, that loss is so significant. I think all of us would acknowledge a loss of life is there's there's grief and sorrow with that but the loss of a baby at any continuum at any point in the pregnancy in the labor mm-hmm. in the immediate postpartum it is so sorrowful and so heartbreaking and it's my job to work with them to just gently care for them and i really want to convey in my care that no matter when that loss occurred, that that life, that life of that baby is very valued and important and impactful and seen and known by God, and I just really hope that they leave that interaction in a gentle and love-filled way.
0: Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. a gift it is to have a nurse like you oh. in a, in, a, in such a moment where... All you wanted to know is the world to know your child. Yes. And you come in there and you're yeah. like, you're known.
1: Yeah,
0: What a gift that is yeah. in just the intensity of those moments.
1: Yeah,
0: um, I would like to kind of come back to a little bit of your heart that you shared of, yeah. of the image of God yeah. in your role. Okay. And you get to have this combination of having faith and being a nurse. Yes. Yeah. And so you get to live that out. So how would you say that your role as a nurse has shaped um, your biblical view of being made in the
1: image of God? Hmm, that's a good question. I think it's primarily, um, as I was saying earlier, like I probably have encountered hundreds, maybe even thousands of people in my career, lots of people. Yeah. And I can tell you that there's some very interesting and sometimes <laughs> difficult people out there. <laughs> but regardless of all the different people I encounter, we all all of us have one thing in common we are made by god we are made by a creator we are made in his image Mm -hmm. and we have him as our abba father caring so tenderly and so passionately for us so even in my interaction with them i'm really hoping that i'm conveying that to them even if it's difficult and it is, of course. <laughs> Humans are not always straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> but I really want them to feel valued, respected, seen, and cared for. Mm-hmm. And that I th- hopefully is, is STEM because I see them as children of God also.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And kind of as an addition, has that shaped your role as a mother?
1: Uh, well... Yes, <laughs> I mean my children. I have always viewed them as gifts from God, mm-hmm. and I carry the responsibility of motherhood. I think probably most parents would, but really seriously because God has given me Jason, Mia, and is entrusting me, and I need His help significantly. <laughs> but it's my job. Me yes, <laughs> gosh. Um, but it's my job to mirror. God's image back to them and I for Mm. sure do it poorly sometimes (laughs) but I hope that I can more or so consistently show them the character traits of God and what that looks like to live that out and how Mm. that can be worshipful and honoring to him and how they can in turn do that
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: thank you Becca for sharing your heart and for coming in I'm what an opportunity you have and I hope for our church can hear the heart that Becca has and how she has grasped the opportunity to live her faith in her job. You're, you're living missionally and gospeling in, in an in acute area. Um, and a cute area, I'm yeah. sure. I'm sorry.
3: That's pretty good,
0: actually. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and so, church, be challenged and be encouraged by Becca's story. Take care.
2: Genesis 1, 26 to 31. Then God said, let us make human beings in our own image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over all the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good.
3: Well, thank you to the Harmony House uh, girls for reading our scripture for us this morning. And by the way, we have a scripture reading guide, 50 day scripture reading guide for you Uh, Based on this series, Good News, and invite you to get it off the website, Uh, use it as a household, use it individually, use it in your life group triad. But you'll be able to track through so many of the scriptures that speak about the good news. So take a look at that. Um, I want to just invite you to something wonderful. We would love to celebrate baptisms uh, this fall, and we're going to have to think about how to do that creatively. But if if you've given your life to Christ over the last number of months, or you've been waiting to uh, declare your faith in baptism, would you reach out to us, office at kgfchurch.com. We'd love to celebrate baptisms and, pray, and walk with you on that road. So baptisms this fall. And uh, if God's been moving in your heart and if you've given your life to Christ, what a wonderful way to communicate that to the world. So reach out to us and let us know. Um, What's today's question going to be? Well, at the end of our uh, the message, we're going to throw it to you in your group, uh, your hub group, or your life group, wherever you are, uh, to think about this question today. What difference does it make that I am made in the image of God? What difference does it make that I am made in the image of God? That's where we're headed today so you can be preparing. And on our way to that, kids and adults, every one of you, grab a piece of paper. You're gonna see me over here. I've already doodled a little bit, but you can prepare for this as well. So what I'd love you to do is right now begin doing this. Draw a picture of yourself. And there am am I, perhaps a little more buff than I ought to be, Um, but I got the glasses, I've got the goatee, and I have very little hair. So that's me, hopefully you can tell. Later on, we're gonna come back to this person over here, but for right now, kids, adults, Draw yourself, everybody. Everybody's included. We'll come back to it in a little bit. Jonah and the big fish. Uh, Jonah was a Jewish prophet commanded by the Lord to go to Nineveh, which was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. And he was supposed to call them to repent and believe the good news, essentially. And Jonah famously refused. After all, Nineveh was the enemy, It was the ISIS of its day, really. And so Jonah ran away from God's call, and he ends up in a fish. This is a famous story, right? Uh, He changes his mind, and he repents in the fish. And he goes to Nineveh, saying the Assyrians should repent and change their minds from their evil deeds and turn to God. And then he watches, Jonah does, with great disappointment, When the Assyrians actually do change their minds and agree with what God has said, they repent and believe. Because Jonah wanted Nineveh to suffer. Who would you put in the category of the Ninevites in your life? So head back to that paper, would you? Who would you put in the category of the Ninevites in your life? If this is you, well, this is me, But who would you draw in the category of the Ninevites? Who's the bad one? I'm going to draw what I think. This is what I feel, what I struggle with. So one of the things right now that's super frustrating to me is these people who are protesting and they're walking around with their eyes covered and it seems angry all the time. That kind of looks like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. I know. But like, those protesters, they just like, they just raggle me with like creating violence and agony for people and making a whole mess. So, so these are the people right now who I am struggling and trying to figure out, does God really, does God really be, is God really paying attention? Who would you put in that category in your life? Now, you got to be careful with this. It could be somebody close to you. Goodness, it may be somebody you're sitting in your hub with or your life group, maybe. It could be somebody else um, globally. But who fits that category for you? Now, Jonah, he wanted judgment. Jonah wanted judgment. But he discovered that God is merciful and compassionate. The story of Jonah reveals that the God of the Hebrews is concerned about Nineveh as much as he is concerned about Jerusalem. You see, in ancient times, the gods were considered local. There was the God of your people who you believed in, you appeased, and who, you, and who fought for you among the nations that you were among. And Jonah thought that he could even run away from God. And that reveals that at least to some degree, He had this thought too, that the Lord was the God of Israel and that he could run away from him. We still sometimes want to make God into our local deity and what we can control, and he's for us, right? But what if the earth is really the Lord's and everything in it? Jonah reveals again, the story of Jonah reveals again to Israel what was there all along. Yahweh, the Lord, is God of all places and peoples, and he is fighting for his glory alone, a glory that is good for all people. Remember, last week we played a little game and we came to Psalm 24, verse 1. See if you can remember. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. And the little story of Jonah ends with God asking a very, very big question. And someone right now where you are, read this scripture. Are you ready? I'm gonna read it too, but someone where you are, read it out nice and loud, because this is how the book of Jonah comes to a conclusion. And should I not have concern for this great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? God is concerned for Nineveh, a generally scary people. And God has a people who are to be his voice and actively live out that concern and that compassion. That Jonah knows the Lord of all, you see, doesn't make him more special than the Ninevites. It means he has a great responsibility. And God aches, For every person in Nineveh, he even has the number down. When God says that they can't tell their right hand from their left, he's not saying that they're a bunch of imbeciles or whatever hick, uh, redneck stereotype you might come up with. They did manage to have one of the greatest empires in human history. He's saying that they've lost their way. When can't you tell your right hand from your left? Isn't it when you're in the dark? When you're lost in the dark and you can't, it's that thick that you've lost your way, God is saying they've forgotten essentially what it means to be human. And God is concerned even with the beasts. He's even concerned for the animals. God wants what he created to live in harmony with him and with one another, to know his shalom. We need a reference point, you see, for being human. And what is yours? Jonah had made his own comfort, his religion, and his politics the reference point. Nineveh had made their own pride and empire building their reference point. And the beasts, they were lost and abused in the blind darkness with which human beings were wandering. The Mennonite Brethren Confession of Faith, which undergirds the life of our fellowship here at Kelowna Gospel Fellowship Church, says this, We cannot pretend to eliminate the notion of a personal God, as portrayed in scripture, without also eliminating a certain understanding of what it means to be human. It is ultimately impossible to understand the fundamental character of human nature and existence without an absolute point of reference. You see, to be human, we need a place from which we understand being human. We all need to know where we've come from. It's why kids like to hear the stories of their parents' lives before the kids came around. It's why when we get older, we start getting interested in genealogies. Look at this postage stamp. See if it comes up here. There you go. Uh, This is a postage stamp from the Soviet Union in 1985. The stamp bears the likeness of a girl with a very un-Russian name. If you know any Russian and you can read the blue script across the top, it says this, Samantha Smith. (laughs) That's the non-anglicized reading of that. Samantha Smith. Samantha Smith. In November 1982, 10-year-old Samantha from Manchester, Maine, USA was afraid with the rest of the world that humanity would literally be blown up by a nuclear war. And so she wrote a letter to the new leader of the Soviet Union of the time. His name was Yuri Andropov. Here's the letter that she wrote. Listen carefully. Dear Mr. Andropov, my name is Samantha Smith. I'm 10 years old. Congratulations on your new job. I've been worrying about Russia and the United States getting into a nuclear war. Are you going to vote to have a war or not? If you aren't, please tell me how you're going to help not have a war. I would like to know why you want to conquer the world, or at least our country. God made the world for us to live together in peace and not to fight. Sincerely, Samantha Smith. Now Andropov, the leader of the Supreme Soviet, responded to her letter, believe it or not. Here's what he replied with. Yes, Samantha, we in the Soviet Union are trying to do everything so that there will not be war on earth. This is what every Soviet man wants. This is what the great founder of our state, Vladimir Lenin, taught us. No one in our country wants either a big or little war. We want peace for ourselves and for all peoples on the planet, for our children and for you, Samantha." Now, did you notice something? Both little Samantha and Andropov, one of the world's most powerful people, want the same thing. They want good news. And they both root that human desire in a point of reference. Samantha's point of reference is God, who made the world as a place of peace and shalom. In the creator God who cares for all people and even the beasts, the little girl goes all the way back to the beginning. And Dropov's point of reference is Vladimir Lenin, who led the Russian Revolution and the formation of the Soviet Empire The 68-year-old Andropov goes back only 65 years and points to Soviet state ideology as the source. He doesn't even go back before his own birth. Who's referencing the better news story here? Now, it's true that both are seeking the same thing. That's human. But it's the reference point that is telling for the reference point will determine how being human will get expressed, how we ultimately see one another and live with one another when push comes to shove. Samantha, I suspect, knew of God's question to Jonah. And Dropov, we now know, was leading a crumbling empire built on the teachings of Lenin that outlawed the Bible, resulted in the death of millions of its own people. And within nine years of these letters, that empire collapsed. A Jewish scholar once said that in modern times, dictatorships have consistently begun with outlawing the Bible. Why? Because the opening words of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, are a threat. Bad news if we want a world that begins with us and centers on us. But as the reference point for understanding human nature and existence, for living life in all its fullness, the beginning of the Bible is good news. From the very beginning, the Bible reveals that God is good. And so say this with me. Look at one another where you're meeting. We tried this last week. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Say it with me. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. The crowning act of God's creation is humanity. You and I and the other person that you drew on that paper. Look at Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 27. And then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The first words about God in Scripture reveal that God is the source of all that gives light and life. The first words about humanity in Scripture is that we are made in the image of God. And these two truths are grounds for good news. The good news that Jesus came proclaiming and calls us to change our minds, repent, and believe. God is and is a creator with good purpose and intention. And human beings are made in God's image. And this has massive implications. I want to draw your mind to three of them. The first of these, this implication of being made in God's image is that we have free will. God in his goodness chose to create as the overflow of his nature and being. And we too are gifted with the choice of responding to the creator or rejecting him. We can choose. And this is both incredible because it makes voluntary friendship, love, and worship with God possible. Not forced, voluntary. But it also has a shadow side, for we may just poke our Father in the eye. You are not random. Neither are you reduced to an autobot. Your life is full of free choices. Who or what will guide them? if you've reduced being human to the fatalistic determination of the stars or your circumstances or blaming your choices on what your parents did to you, if it's all fatalism, you are living beneath your dignity as one made in the image of God. We can all choose to live like Nineveh. We can all choose to run like Jonah. And we can choose to repent and live like The good news. You know, of course, I've experienced this. God will do all he can to get our attention because we're made in his image. But at the end of the day, you are free to choose. And that's one of the greatest dignities of being human. A second implication of being made in the image of God is that we have worth. God in his goodness places worth on all that he has made, but he places special worth on humanity. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 26, Jesus says this, Look at the birds. Your heavenly Father makes sure that there's enough for them. Are you not more valuable than they? Now, a bird is awesome. Last week in uh, in our hub discussion about the wonders of creation, somebody pointed out how intricately beautiful birds are. And it's true. But for all that a bird is, you are more. You, made in God's image, have immeasurable worth. Now, it's so easy for us to base our our worth on stuff, on our finances or on how many likes we have on social media, and then we place worth on other people for a host of reasons. Why did you draw that other person on that other side of your page. Look at it right now. Why did you draw them? Why did I draw that protester? How are you thinking about their worth? Listen, we're all politically correct enough to say, oh, no, I, I don't do that. I don't think that way about other people. But that, the truth is we do, sometimes because of ethnicity, sometimes because of politics our position on social issues, whether they like our team or not. Yeah, it gets pretty ridiculous after a while. And this is increasing in our polarized world. That we place worth on people based upon what they retweet or whether they agree with us or by the color of their skin or by their social standing or income level. For whatever reason, the fact that we do this is so grievous, grievous because this is not what God does. God does not place worth this way. All are worthy, CEO or homeless, gay or straight, black or white, liberal or conservative, Olympic athlete or paralyzed and tube-fed. You can even be a Ninevite. God looks at this motley, messy sea of humanity and he sees value. When our creator sees us, he sees the reflection of his image. Even when it gets marred and messed by sin, God sees enough of him in us that when the time has come for his full reveal, he does it in our flesh and blood. Jesus became the full image of the invisible God, says Colossians chapter one. And it is in this flesh that is of great worth. In John chapter 12, Judas complains that Mary took perfume worth a year's salary and dumped it all over Jesus. This could have been used for the poor, says the snorting betrayer. But Jesus says, listen, you'll always have the poor among you, but you'll not always have me. Now, is he saying that we shouldn't help the poor? Of course, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, open your eyes, Judas the one who is most fully human is with you and he is of great worth. If you see this, then you'll truly see the poor as having been trampled upon and dehumanized and made projects of your elevated self-righteousness. You will see their worth as made in the image of God and you will repent and believe the good news. And elsewhere, Jesus says, what you do to one of the least of these, you've done it unto me, the one of great worth. It's hard being human these days. Kids, you know, I just, I empathize with you. You, you kids that are in school these days, you know, our, our youth gathered together this week at, in our church family. It is, it is hard being human these days. But this is true from the beginning. Pay attention. This is what is true from the beginning. Made in the image of God, you have worth. And your understanding of what will flourish, of, of that will flourish to the extent that you live in relationship with your creator. So those two major implications of, the, of being made in the image of God. we have free will and we have worth, but there's a third, and it's this: that we represent God in creation. God in His goodness, places humanity within the shalom that God initiated with a task. We have purpose, we are his ambassadors, stewards, heirs in the family business. We give shape to the shalom that God began. Every planting of a garden, every creation of a technology should be done with this stewardship in mind. We get to tend our father's world. Every writing of what will unravel in this world after sin enters will require this human touch, God's representation. When Isaiah prophesies that good news day, when the nations ask to learn the ways of God, it will be because a representative people know the way. Every time something needs to change, God sends his representatives. Even when the scary Ninevites need to be told to repent for their time is up, God will send an ambassador. The New Testament calls those who repent and believe the good news in Jesus Christ. This high title, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, being human, we are God's representation, stewards and multipliers of God's goodness. This is who we are as made in God's image, free to choose, immeasurably worthy, God's ambassadors, stewards and representatives. This is the biblical framework of reference for being human. And God blesses us. He literally congratulates the world for coming alive and celebrates that we're made in his image. In Genesis 1, verse 22, he blesses the sea creatures and the birds of the air. And then in chapter 1, verse 28, he famously and most resolutely blesses humanity, blesses us. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Creation, you see, is stunning and blessed by the creator, but God reserves his most full blessing for humanity. And this is crucial. This is so crucial. So crucial today. Listen, back in March, the week that Canada announced shutdowns because of COVID-19, a viral tweet said this. It was reported uh, widely. This was the, the tweet. Coronavirus is Earth's vaccine. We're the virus. And the string of tweets continued. And then there was this one. The human race is so blank, crappy, that when we're absent, the world begins to thrive again. That was on March the 17th. And in what must be one of, the, one of history's greatest ironies, that tweet was liked at the time. By, more than, by almost 500,000 human beings. How is this a frame of reference for being human? In the summer, our family went hiking up at Boulder Fields, awesome place to go, and we came across this poster stickered on this back of a signboard. Maybe you can't quite read what the sign says, that little blue sticker down in the bottom, but it says this, humanity is not a virus. Even when hardly anyone will see in a place like the boulder fields, we're crying out for what we're not. But do we know who we are? The Bible begins with the wonder of creation, the creator, the wonder of humanity, and the wonder that you are blessed and elevated above all else in creation, made in the image of God. Of nothing else is this ever said. Male and female, one in dignity, distinct in identity, blessed to live out these differences and commonalities in the one reality that together we are the image of God. And in a great mystery, we individually bear the image of God. I, as a man, bear the image of God. And yet, the image of God in man is incomplete without the image of God in woman. He made them male and female, His image. Both together in mutuality and fellowship reflect the fullness of God, but alone they actually shroud the holy mystery of God. Listen, if we place one above the other, we are wrong. And from the biblical perspective, this is why femaleness and maleness matters. And the eroding of that created distinction is a slippery slope, not toward greater clarity or wokeness, but greater confusion, anger, despair. We are blessed to be human, image bearers, stewards of God's shalom purposes, His ambassadors. And we can think of all the ways that humanity has screwed up this blessing Let's be honest, that that is on us. But God's first word to us is blessing. And he invites all of us, running prophets and indifferent Assyrians, to repent and believe the good news. To see in ourselves and our most hated enemy, what he sees, his image on earth. Now remember, all that God saw in creation was good. Genesis 1 is full of that phrase. God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. But it is only after humanity comes into the scene that it is said in Genesis 1.31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Now in your hubs or wherever you are, take a look now at your drawing. Take a look at your drawing. Here's what I'd like you to do. Draw a little bubble up above you. Make it one of those thought bubbles. And then, in that thought bubble, write what you would say to yourself if you repent and believe this good news about who you are made in the image of God. What would you say to yourself? And then, change it up and write a speech bubble. And what would you say to that person, that Ninevite in your life? What would you say to them, really, if you repented and believed this good news that they the image of God and that God has compassion on them and loves them and knows them and has them counted what would you say to them it's a little maybe a little harder than the one before and then in your hub groups you could talk about this a little bit later but let me set it up for that question I said we'd come to Here's the question now in your hub groups. Uh, It's what difference does it make that I am made in the image of God? What difference does it make that I am made in the image of God? Let's pray together, and then I'm going to release you and bless you and send you to discuss that, apply it, live it, as those made in the image of God. Lord, you've made us in your own image, what a great mystery. We choose you. You've put such worth on us that you sent your own son in our flesh to die for us, paying the penalty and the cost and the weight and the burden and the consequences of sin. You've risen from the dead, bringing life and initiating a new humanity. And Lord, we're also those who have a purpose a representation task, an ambassadorship to live. Oh Lord, awaken us what it means to live out the call that you place in us and to live fully alive as those made in your image. We worship you. Open our eyes to one another now as we discuss. Tune our ears that we may hear. Lead us for your glory and bless your church scattered throughout this region this week. In Jesus' name and all God's people said